The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, it is an honor to welcome Mr. Matthew Willey. He is a mural artist, and throughout his 25-year career, he has brought original, one-of-a-kind beauty to the walls of homes and businesses throughout the United States. I wanted to interview him because in 2015, he launched the Good of the Hive initiative and is on a personal mission to hand paint 50,000 honeybees in murals around the world. Mr. Willie has shared the stories of the Good of the Hive throughout speaking engagements at the United Nations, the Food and Agriculture Organization in Washington, D.C., Smithsonian's National Zoo, the Planetary Health Alliance in 2018 and many other educational institutions throughout the U.S. His work has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, and many other publications and media channels. He currently lives in Asheville, North Carolina, when he is not painting at a mural site. Welcome, Mr. Willie. It's great to have you with me. Thank you. It's an honor on my part as well, yeah. Well, I saw one of your murals on the Harold P. Curtis Honey Company, which is a 62-year-old family business in LaBelle, Florida, and it stopped me in my tracks. It was so beautiful that we pulled over, went inside the building, bought several jars of orange blossom honey, and inquired about the health of bees in that region. So I think art is good for economic development, not to mention quality of life and inspiration to protect our food system. I want to know how you became interested in honeybees. Sure. I was in my apartment, my studio in New York City in the East Village, and literally a honeybee flew in and landed right in the center of the carpet, right, like literally smack dab in the middle of the studio. I couldn't miss it. And she was walking along the rug, but really slowly. So it offered me this opportunity to get down on the floor and really look at a bee closer than I ever had in my entire life. I had always seen them as just like everybody else, sort of a flying stinger. I had no relationship to bugs or bees prior to that, but it was because she was walking and not flying that I just got curious as an artist. And so I literally got out my magnifying glass and studied this little bee and noticed first the cuteness. It's like, how did I not know that these were so cute with the antennas and the fuzzy little legs and There was something there, and I looked closer and noticed even the hairs on the eyeballs, and there was a beauty to this little creature that I just was blown away by. And I hung out with her for about two and a half hours, and she walked about two inches and then died. Mm -hmm. And I put her out in the backyard. I said a little prayer, and I came back in, and I was curious, so I started researching honeybees online. And the first thing I came across, this was 11 years ago, so was colony collapse disorder, and it was this mass devastation happening all over the planet. And being a New Yorker, I was like, how am I not hearing about this? I'm right, walking by newspapers and magazines all the time, and there's this globally devastating thing happening, and I've not heard one word about it. That shocked me. And so I looked further, and 
I came across a behavior of the bee called altruistic suicide or altruistic self-removal from the hive. Mm -hmm. And this is if a bee feels sick, if it's in the hive, it will exit the hive and fly off into the abyss for the good of the hive. Wow. And that was like a lightning bolt moment. They do that because they're hardwired to understand that their immune system is collective and not based on the individual bee, but based on the hive. And right then and there, it occurred to me that so is ours. Our health as a species is based on each other. And that was just the beginning of a paradigm shift for me as an artist. So that was really the first foray into it. So if you fast forward, it took about seven years, and a friend of mine named Mora sent me an iPhone video of that wall that you saw in LaBelle, but it was blank. And she was just driving by, and she said, you know what, I had been telling everybody about the bees. I'd been talking about them, and you know, I painted murals for many years, but I I hadn't painted any about a bee, but I had told some people I was interested in finding a wall just to do one mural to help raise some awareness. And Mora was one of the people who came back to me and said, I think I found a wall. Why don't you call them up? And so I did that. I just called up the company, and I said, would you guys like a mural of bees? And they said, we would love a mural of bees on our wall, but we have no money to pay you, and murals are illegal in this town. Wow. And you've seen the wall. It's pretty big. Yes, it's (laughs) huge. It's like, okay, I'm getting a little old for running from the police. I mean, I don't paint that quickly. That's part of the story is that I paint rather slowly for a street artist, for sure. And so I said, if you guys can get the law changed, I'll figure out a way to come and do it. And I hung up the phone thinking they're never going to call me back. (laughs) And two months later, my phone rings, and they're like, we got the law changed. When are you coming? Wow. So, yeah, so I figured, oh, I guess we're doing this. And I had moved to Asheville by that point, and so I packed up my little Ford Ranger. I put up a little web page and just invited friends and old clients and anybody to donate a little money. It wasn't an official crowdfunding or anything, but I just called it the good of the hive, and I was going to go paint this mural. And I raised like $500 for gas money, basically, and just went on faith. And when I got there, some really interesting things happened. Someone put me up in their RV for free for 10 weeks. Restaurants in town started giving me free food, offering me free salad bar. The coffee shop in town was like, I don't even eat breakfast generally, but they were bringing me breakfast at the job site and wouldn't let me pay for a cup of coffee. And people started donating little bits of money. And people would drop off, local beekeepers were dropping off little jars of honey that I could sell for $20 to help fund it. And then someone wrote a little article about it and it hit Facebook and um, it was just a local paper. And people started donating little bits of money from around the country. And then even other honey companies around the country were donating money, which blew me away. I was thinking how I don't see Nike paying for me to paint on Adidas's wall. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, these are, in my mind, competitors in a sense, yet they were coming together around this issue. Yeah. And on that job, a couple of things happened that, like, constantly I would turn around and there would be, like, a 16-year-old girl with a nose ring talking to a 75-year-old farmer guy and having a conversation, just looking the same direction, standing next to each other, talking about bees. So a lot of that started to happen. And just like you did, people were pulling off the road and coming and talking to me. 
and there was a live beehive on the site. They had an observation hive going in the store. I don't know if you saw it, if it was going at the time, but there was a pipe, and so I had to paint right around the pipe. So I was also getting to know the bees, like painting with them, landing on my brush, and literally landing on me, and having conversations with them, like, okay, girls, we're in this together, kind of thing, and getting to know them a little bit. And so at that point, someone had done a ride for hungry kids across Florida, and they had asked us if we could do make the mural site a water stop so that just as a feature for their riders. And I thought, great, we'll raise more awareness. We'll get some people coming. And so we did that. And the producer of that ride, name's Travis, and he walked up to me and he literally had a honeybee perched on his shoulder, like a pirate had a parrot or something. <laughs> and he said, this bee's telling me to come and talk to you. And I'm like, really, what's the bee saying? You know, we better listen. And we just laughed a little. And he, we got into a conversation. And he asked me how many bees were in a healthy hive. And I had just learned, like the day before, that it was between thirty and 60,000. And he just looked at me and said, do you think you could paint 50,000 bees? Oh, wow. And I, there were 17 in that first mural. But when he said that, it hit me in the gut. Kind of like, that'd be a really interesting thing to try and do. It just yeah. felt like, yeah, let's try and do that. So that was really how it all started. Wow. And it has grown. And I should let our listeners know that if you want to see the beautiful murals, and what I love about it is that each mural has a story with it. And it's not a long story. It's just short enough to digest. And really, they're very mm -hmm. uh, thought-provoking stories about how each one happened and the messages that each one delivers. So if you go to www.thegoodofthehive.com, you can also enjoy these beautiful murals and the stories. And I will post along with this interview, the very first mural that you did in LaBelle that has the first collection of bees. You also painted one in Seattle, Washington. And what I loved about that story was that that particular mural dispelled myths about swarms. Tell me how that came to you? I mean, had you learned about swarms and how people are fearful about them? How did that concept make it to that wall? Yeah, sure. The swarm is another one of those things that got awakened in me. It all stems back to when I was looking at that little bee and realizing there is so much more here than I even can fathom at this point. And one of the points later that just hit me again was that there's these behaviors of honeybees that are so misunderstood, like so deeply misunderstood, and yet there's so much to learn from them. The swarm is actually one of the sub most sublime experiences in nature. It is actually a healthy expansion of a honeybee hive. So what is happening during one is that the queen will see that the hive is getting to a point where it's big enough and healthy enough to expand and split basically off and she can take a bunch of the bees and they go and find a new home. But it's also, so she lays three, usually about three queen eggs and then they'll battle out to be the next queen and there's whole stuff that happens with that. But the former queen literally flies out into what is really just a smoke screen. People think of all those bees flying around. Well, all those bees have literally just flown out there to be a smokescreen. The queen flies out into the center so that if birds are coming to, to 
they won't get the queen, which is the most precious element of the hive. She's the sustainable element. Right. And um, so I loved that aspect of it, of like this thing that is literally there's been horror movies made about the terror in it. Yeah. And literally, if you were to just stand there, they'll fly right by. They've got a full belly of honey. They're very docile at that point. They're not looking to attack anything. Yeah. They're actually just looking to like make sure there's enough space around the queen for her to go to the next place. Right. And then when they usually create a ball somewhere, you see them on the internet like a car tire or a bicycle or something. But what they've done is they've taken this incredibly brave leap and put the queen in this state of vulnerability in order to expand, which is... I love that metaphor as an artist because that's where we are with the world right now. We need to take more leaps of faith, you know, educated ones and ones based in everybody coming together with the best knowledge we have, but there are some changes to be had that are not going to be, we're not going to know exactly what's going to happen with them. Exactly. We change. And so that idea hit me, and it's come up several times in several murals now, the behavior of the swarm. I'm fascinated by it. What I love about artwork and especially public art is all of the things that you have described. So it brings people together. It gives us a conversation piece around which to gather and have a larger conversation. It also offers public education, which we might not get otherwise. And so having you on a program that talks about food, health, and agriculture just makes so much sense as using art as a tool to promote the very sustenance that we depend on and moving forward if we hope to have future generations. I need to take one break because we're at the halfway mark and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Mr. Matthew Willie. He is a mural artist. He is on a project or campaign initiative titled The Good of the Hive, and he is hand-painting 50,000 honeybees in murals around the world. You can go to his website, and you can see some of the beautiful murals right now if you wish. It's at www.thegoodofthehive.com. One of the places where you painted bees that I think is really important to talk about is in the Midwest, in Nebraska, which is a center for monoculture, agriculture, where bees are very much threatened because of pesticide sprays, as well as herbicide sprays that kill the plants that bees depend on. And you were in Nebraska and you painted bees on a barn in hopes that crop dusters would see them. Tell me how that project happened. That project happened the same way a lot of them happen. Someone sent me an email with a, I always say, a wall or location, you know, we go with where, because that one was a roof, not a wall. Right. Or a building. So he just reached out to me, and his name's Jeff, and he has a small organic farm. It's a hobby farm, but he hopes to retire there and be gaining, you know, throughout retirement, I think he's planning on living off of the yield of his little eight-acre organic farm. And it's in the middle of big agriculture. So it's this teeny little postage stamp in the middle of a sea of monocrop. Right. And he emailed me and said, I can't get my numbers down to organic level officially because of the drift from the crop dusters. Why don't you come and paint bees on the roof so we can show the crop dusters what's down here? 
And I just thought that was the coolest. I've always been fascinated by the Midwest. I haven't spent nearly enough time there. I think it's an underappreciated area of our country, and I was curious as well, and I I was actually right in my mind. I got there, and I'm sitting up on that roof, and the beauty and the cleanness of the light in Nebraska was mm. spectacular, even just from an art, artist perspective, because there's always that for me, and where I end up has to feel inspired, and I was really blown away by the power of the nature out there. Like there was one day I'd be sweltering up there like, oh my gosh, it's so hot. I just wish this metal roof would cool off a little. And then a wind would come five minutes later that was blowing the paint off my paintbrush. Wow. <laughs> you know, so it was like, wow, do I got this a blip. It was like six weeks or whatever, but that was an, a little taste of the difficulties because then the wind would stop and the black flies would come. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this is tough out here, you know? Yeah. And we have it pretty easy in Manhattan. And so what happened was we started talking to farmers. We started talking to the other the people in the town, and we learned. Because I, I don't come at this work from a background in conservation or environmentalism or entomology or anything related to this. I'm learning as I go. And part of the beauty of it, I think is that as I learn stuff, it has a freshness when I learn it that I can then share it. And I'm sure that if I don't know it, there's other people that don't know it as well. And I learned about that marriage of the seed and the herbicide, which I didn't know. I did not know that 94% of the seeds that feed the world are owned by corporations. Now, when I looked at it from an artistic perspective, What came to me immediately was there's only two symbols, really, that we use in the world of art as a symbol of hope. And so, and it's babies and seeds. And I was like, one of those two is fully owned by corporations. And that was what struck me in the gut, that there was a story to be told here. Like, when we have a better balance of everyone collectively making a decision about something like as important as seeds and food, we're going to come out with a better answer because everybody's got a say in their health in the way that they didn't before. Mm. So that was what fascinated me most about that project, aside from just the beauty of the landscape. Right. One of the values that we hope art has in society is to change the way people think, to broaden perspectives, have greater understanding and empathy, and ultimately change policy. And so far, I wonder, with as many murals as you've thus completed, do you have any idea of the ripple effects that you've had? Perhaps, certainly, people have had their awareness broadened, but have any policies changed as a result of your artwork yet? I don't know about of any policies that have specifically changed, but a few things have happened recently that certainly lead me to believe we're on our way there. Hmm. One is a young woman named Madeline in the UK. She's 16, and she reached out to me and said, I want to bring the good of the hive to my school. And I have a meeting set up with my headmaster and the board, and I'm wearing my bee necklace, and I'm just a fan of what you're doing, and I'm going to bring them here. And then she follows up with, and even if they say no, I'm going to raise the money to bring a mural somewhere else. Like she just, I heard it from this 16-year-old schoolgirl 
is like she gets it. She gets it fully. I hear from students all over. There's a lot of art teachers and science teachers that will use our videos or the stories in the classroom. Like there's a group in Montecito Union District School out in California. That's a town that has been devastated by floods and fires and They've had a lot of devastation. So they've got these first graders that are dubbed the busy bees. And they're trying to find a way to tell them what's going on in the world, but also teach them how to be in the world with that. Like, how do you be an activist without being angry all the time? How do you do something positive? And that bridge that the art allows, that bridge or buffer between the data and the, the tough conversations that we have to have a lot of the time about these things because of the systems that are currently in place. Yes. It allows, the art allows that bridge to let that optimism, hope, and inspiration come, which is we're at our best when we're in that, when we're acting from that place, from little kids to grown-ups. But I hear a lot from these, the, the youngins, I call them, but they're just super excited. I was a speaking at Georgetown not too long ago, and all these students are like thinking of how what they do for their career affects the environment. Exactly. They're talking about the job, but they're looking at it from a very different way, very different perspective than my generation did. Yeah. It's not just about the money. It's about, yes, making money, but making sure what we're doing is good for the environment as well. So I have a ton of hope in the way things are changing. And one last quick story was I ended up at a roundtable at the Food and Agriculture Organization's World Bee Day. They were like, I think they just brought in an artist. I happened to be around and somebody knew somebody. So they were like, hey, Matt, come on and tell everybody your story. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up, the part that I wasn't planning on was that I listened to all of their stories. I heard about all this data at top level, like what's going on around the planet, people talking about this stuff. And then I presented with my pictures and my videos and my smiles and my laughs. And and at the end, they asked me, we've never had an artist at this type of thing before. Do you have any opinions about it? What what do you think? And I was like, well, you guys really want to know anything? (laughs) They were like, yes, we really want to know what you think. And first, I think these people are amazing. Like, There is a lot going on out there that they're trying to keep up with in terms of data and understanding what is going on because it's huge. But the problem is that crowd isn't designed to communicate. So as I was listening, I was like, okay, I'm pretty smart. I'm definitely not the smartest person in this room, but I don't think I would understand what you're talking about if I didn't already have the background I have in pollinators and pollination and and all that. And I said, how are we reaching the people everywhere? And it really, to me, came down to that, the furthest 18 inches in the world, they say, from the head to the heart. How are we expressing this in a way that gets people excited, like can really find the joy and the passion in saving the world or saving the food systems or really get into it? People, when they get really into something, are unstoppable. You're a great example of that. Right, but that's what my hope is that there'll be like 150 versions of The Good of the Hive. We're hoping to expand to where we have other artists working with me and getting that because there's so many stories to be told. I'm personally painting pollinators and bees currently. It would be great to have the same model going for oceans and for soil and air and all of it. So 
And we're getting there. I think there is huge progress being made, and I'm excited about what's going on because I think there is something about what we can all learn as a species by going through a challenge like this. Yeah. Like it really has the potential because it's not a done deal yet. There is time to change. There are resources. And being able to inspire enough people and get there is really, I think there's so much to be learned in that. I, I agree. I think that the marriage of art and science is critical. Mm-hmm. And while I would like to think, because I've always worked in a world of facts, while I would like to think that facts would go to make that bridge between the head and the heart, I think that's where we need artists like yourself. And in preparation for this interview, I listened to an interview that you did with WAMU, and you said, I hope people start to see how beautiful the bees are, and what Mm -hmm. people find beautiful, they take care of. Yeah, that is true. And also your explanation of the bees working together and recognizing that we are all in it together and that we have to come together without Mm -hmm. these harsh divides in order to become a sustainable society. Right. Yeah. And realizing we already are together. It's an illusion thinking we're not. Mm. That's the way I look at it. We are one hive. Human species, we're already, we, we have an imaginary thing that's saying we're not together but we actually are already. So it's even easier to just sort of gently move that veil out of the way and be like, oh, there we are. You know, we just have a minute left, and I wonder if you would like to leave our listeners with a message or something that I did not cover in our discussion. If there was a message, we kind of touched on it already, but one is don't think because I'm on a radio show that you can't reach out to us about a mural. Okay. totally open to ideas. I love the concept of a community coming together and saying, we have a wall, we're rallying to get the funds going, and then jumping in in that way. We really hope to do a lot more murals in the future. So looking at that, and we're always looking at new and interesting places to paint. We haven't painted in Missouri. And then the other thing that I, oh, I think about a lot, and it's just almost more of a personal note, but You know, the world and humans have a lot of problems. That's nothing new. We had problems (laughs) since we got here. But the thing that changes that is always whether we feel like we're alone in going through that problem or with other people in it. It's that feeling of not being alone that I think gives tremendous optimism and power to creating the solutions and having better lives. And I think a lot of people just feel really alone in it. And I, I just want people to hear that they're not. That, again, is an illusion. It's a short reach to just find other people. With the Forces of Nature Gallery, we've started launching something called Environmental Conversations, or we're sort of playing with the name, but we're doing pop-up shows and galleries and bringing people together with music and just hanging out and talking about what's going on in their community whenever we're on a site. So people who haven't ever met each other but have lived down the street forever can get together through this work, through the healing, through the repair, Mm. you know, and allowing what our challenge is to actually be something that brings us together. Well, I love this work. I love your mission 
And I will make sure that our listeners have a connection through our Foods with Radio website. So in closing, I want to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Foods with Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Mr. Matt Willey. He is a mural artist, and his project, campaign, and initiative is titled The Good of the Hive. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. 